The scripture this morning begins in chapter 2 of Luke, verse uh, 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the festival, the Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up as was their custom. When the festival was over, they were returning home, but Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, though they were not aware of it. Assuming that he was in their company, they traveled a day's journey. And then they began to look for him, and they could not find him among the friends and relatives, so they went back to Jerusalem. And after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting with the scholars, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone was amazed by his answers and his understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There's a story of a Jewish boy who, uh, in America who grew up to become a Nobel laureate in physics. And as the story goes, uh, another man who was his friend asked him, because he had grown up with him, and he said, why did you take this route? What was so different about your upbringing than everybody else in your neighborhood? And he said, from the time of kindergarten all the way through high school, when I went off to school, my mother did not say to me, have a good day or be careful. But every day my mother would say to me the same thing, ask good questions. And when I came home from school, she would ask me, well, did you ask good questions? Questions are an important part, I believe, of our faith. In fact, my question for you this morning is, could it be that when it comes to our growth in faith, that our questions that we ask are much more important than the answers that other people hand on to us? Jesus would have understood the importance of questions growing up uh, in a a devout Jewish household. And so we find the story of him at 12 years old up for the Passover with his family. And they leave and not realize that he's not with uh, their large uh, company because they could have traveled a hundred or more on their journey. And uh, when they find him, of course, he's sitting in the temple and he's asking questions of uh, the great scholars of the day there. And uh, a couple things to be said about this, though, that it's important to know. Number one is that often people talk by questions. You know, we have the Socratic method that's often used today. In the same way, the rabbinic method was a way of teaching. So the fact that you were asking questions didn't always mean that you didn't know. Often it was because you did know, and that's how you helped other people come to answer the question for themselves. So, for example, a classic illustration comes from a tour uh, that Ray Vanderland took uh, to Israel, and they stopped at an artist colony in a place called Safat. And in this artist colony were a number of different shops. And there was an old rabbi, in fact, so old that he had actually been interred in a Nazi concentration camp, and he still had the number stamped on him as a reminder. And uh, he owned a photography shop. And so one of the women on the tour walked through the shop and noticed these amazing pictures. And so she asked the old rabbi a question. She said, of all these pictures, which one is your favorite? Well, the rabbi, obviously skilled in rabbinic method, asked her a question in return. He said, are you married? And the woman said, well, yes, why do you ask? And then the rabbi asked her, do you have any children? Well, yes, she said, I have two. Why do you ask? And then the rabbi honed in and said, which one of them do you love the most? 
And she had her answer. So sometimes rabbinic method is not because you don't know, but it's because you do know and you want other people to come to the answer. But sometimes you're sitting asking questions because you don't know. And I think one of the important verses that actually I didn't get far enough with in in this story is verse 52, where we're told that Jesus goes home with his parents from Jerusalem and he grows in wisdom and stature, which is to say that Jesus knows a lot of stuff when he's 12 years old, but he doesn't know it all. And part of the questioning helps him grow. Uh, It is often uh, questions that are means both of teaching and are learning in in, uh, Judaism. And we can see that from the very beginning. Uh, If you've ever attended a Seder meal, a Passover Seder, you'll know that the youngest person at the table asks the question about the the most the seminal event in their history, the Passover and the Exodus. And so the youngest child says, why is this night different from every other night? And this question leads to the learning and the retelling of the story. Questions were extremely significant in the Judaism of Jesus' day. In fact, one of the great rabbis before Jesus was a man named Hillel. And it's my opinion that Jesus shared a lot of opinions with uh, this great rabbi who preceded him, including the belief that love your neighbor as yourself was a part of the great commandment. But Hillel was said um, to have noted that a bashful person will never learn. He taught his disciples to ask lots of questions. He said by questioning they will learn. And so when you come to the temple courts and these great scholars and teachers are debating and what they're really doing is asking each other questions and getting deeper with the questions, trying to help them figure out how to apply the scripture uh, to their life in that day. And in fact, sometimes the question and questioning sessions and the questions and answering session can become quite heated. And and rabbis were known to to come into conflict uh, verbally with each other. But the way they talked about it is they called it argument for the sake of heaven. Basically, they were saying is, as we ask our questions and debate them intensely, we will grow in our ability to become the people God has called us to become and to live out God's law in our life. And so questions would have been a central part of Jesus' classic Jewish upbringing. And if it's a part of his upbringing and a part of his faith, my thinking is questions ought to be a part of our faith as well. So I want to suggest to you two things this morning. Number one is that the church ought to be a place where questions are at least as important as the answers that we hand off and hand down to each other. The church ought to be a place where questions are entertained and received and discussed and better questions are even formulated from the answers that we give and from the questions that we, that we ask. I, I met uh, a, a new acquaintance of, a few weeks ago as a pastor, but he told me he grew up in a denomination and he had a habit in this church where he grew up of asking lots of questions of his Sunday school teacher. So interestingly, he said one day his parents told him that the pastor had asked for him to come to the pastor's office after school one day. So when school was uh, uh, finished, instead of going home, he went to the church office and met the pastor. And there the pastor lectured him and told him he was asking too many questions in Sunday school and that he would need to stop. And he told the pastor, well, I really can't. And the pastor said, well, I was afraid of that. He said, I need to ask you not to come back to our church anymore. Too many questions. But the church ought to be a place where questions are, can be brought safely. Uh, another thing is I think the church needs to be a place that uh, answers questions that people are really asking and doesn't answer the questions people are no longer asking. So, for example, 
For the last couple centuries, we've assumed that everybody wakes up in the morning saying, if I die tonight, what's going to happen to me? But the fact of the matter is, unless you have a terminal disease or you're approaching my age, that typically is not one of your questions. Your question is like, if I wake up and I'm still alive tomorrow, how am I going to navigate this job? If I wake up and I'm still alive tomorrow, what am I going to do about the situation in our community or, or in our state or in our family? Typically, our questions today have to do more about life than about uh, a life after death. I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm wondering if we're answering questions that people aren't really asking at the moment. A good biblical case can be made that the main question of the Jews in Jesus' day was not, am I going to go to heaven? Because the answer was, yes, they assumed they were. They were the people of God. They were walking in right relationship with God. They had faith in God. That wasn't really an issue they had. Their big question was, when is God going to turn earth into heaven? When is God's kingdom going to come? When is God's will going to be done? And so sometimes we're asking questions that the Bible didn't even ask. And when you bring a question that doesn't relate really to the main thinking of the Bible or uh, the place where people are today, we shouldn't be surprised that folks aren't particularly interested in our answers when we're answering questions that maybe they're not asking at the moment. So we need to make sure that we're a place where it's safe to bring our questions and we need to be attentive to the questions of the people in the world around us as attentive as we are to our own questions. And if that's so, I think the second thing is not only does the church need to be a place for questions, the church needs to be a place where good questions are asked. It was a great Albert Einstein who said this, that formulating a better question is more important than any answer. Because formulating a better question should take us deeper into the heart of the matter. So what I need to tell you about good questions is in Jesus' day, they were generally about the scripture. They were, when those, when those great teachers were sitting in the temple courts arguing with one another and Jesus is questioning them and giving answers as well, I assure you they're not talking about the game that kicks off at one o'clock. Very clearly they're talking about the scripture and how do we live it in our life and how do we apply it. So first thing we need to note is that good questions are generally going to be about the scripture. But what you need to know about that is maybe what did the Bible say is not always the best question. Now, I know that sounds a little strange, but sometimes, uh, let's take an example. In the Bible, there's a story in the New Testament, and uh, it's a story about a husband and wife who sell a piece of land and get a certain amount of money. And so what they say to their church is uh, that, you know, we are so generous and magnanimous, we've sold this piece of land and we're giving you all the money. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't exactly the case. They weren't. They were saying they were doing it, but they weren't doing it. So the husband um, made his offering and claimed it was all of it. And he gets quizzed about it. And he said, yeah, that's all of it. And basically it's not true. And he dies. They carry him out. Then his wife comes in to her horror, finds out, uh, will find out that her husband has died. But they ask her the same question. Did you sell this land? Yeah, she said, we sold the land. Did you make this much money? Yeah, and we gave it all to the church. And they're like, well, no, you didn't. And she has a heart attack. And dies. Now, what did the Bible say? Well, the Bible said two people who didn't give the money to the church, they said they were going to die. That is a wonderful December sermon. 
But that's not what's going on. A better question than what did the Bible say is, where are we? What's the context in the Bible story? And the context is, we are forming community. The very first community is being formed, and it's not going to be formed on deceit. It's going to be formed on honesty and truthfulness and a commitment to the larger whole. That's the question. Sometimes asking what does the Bible say doesn't, isn't really the best question. We need to first of all say, what's the context? Where are we in the Bible story? You know, there are passages in the Bible that tell you that if, you're, uh, if your son, um, teenage son, is not behaving, bring him to the center of town and stone him to death. But when you look through the annals of Jewish history, you found that this order is never, pardon me, executed. Because they begin, they know that when it is said originally, it's when the first community is being formed and certain standards are being formed. And now as they've grown and changed, they ask different and better questions. How can we live out the spirit of this law? Finally, they decide, as as I've told some of you before, that the child can only be, the teenage son can only be stoned if he is warned ahead of time that his actions could lead to death. That he acknowledges that his actions that he's taking could lead to death. And that both mom and dad agree that he ought to be put to death. Yeah, what are the odds? They know that. They're taking the text and they're wrestling with it. So what does the Bible say is a good question, but sometimes there are better questions. Where are we in the story? Or what does the story tell us about God and what God wants? Is it really that God wants death? Or is God, again, interested in a kind of order where, where the community uh, is honored and our actions build up other people? Uh, so anyway, those are good questions to wrestle with. But sometimes I think the best question we can ask is not, not what does the Bible say and then I, I need to go do it. But maybe where are we in the story and what am I learning about God? And then we begin out how to figure out. How, with the Holy Spirit and prayer and question answering, how we're going to live this out in our day. Now, by the way, let me say quickly, there are some Bible stories that they are straight up and that's just, you know, and you just need to be clear about that. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. I mean, those things that rabbis didn't. You know, there was no reapplying of that. They were they were pretty clear that that was what God intended in that in that situation and for each situation thereafter. But anyway, questions start with the text. Ask better questions about the Bible. But now I, I'm not sure I see this in Jesus completely, but I don't think that he would throw up if I tell you this. I also think good questions are questions that we ask that draw us deeper into our own life. And, and help us look more closely at examining our life and the role that we play in, uh, in our relationships and in the community and in the world. So here's the example. A friend gave me a book by John Miller some years ago called The Question Behind the Question. And he said too often our questions like uh, when or how or why always put the responsibility on the other person. When are they going to get it right? When are they going to change? You know, why do they always do that? And he said the better question behind the question is one that perhaps shifts the responsibility to our role and what can we do. So, for example, some of you may remember uh, John F. Kennedy's inaugural address when he says, you already know it, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's a question behind the question. That's a better question that shifts about them and what they're going to do in Washington to how am I living? What's my role? Peter Block, who writes a great deal on uh, communities in the 21st century, 
talks about questions that have little power. And these are the questions as a pastor I ask every day, which is, how can I get people to show up? How can I get them to be more committed? How can I get them to change? Who else has solved the problem I have and how can I apply their solution in my situation? Those aren't bad questions. But there are questions in our changing world that have more power than that. And Block suggests some of those questions might be, how am I contributing to the very problem that I complain about? Or, why did I show up today? Or, what gifts do I bring to this situation? Those are questions that bring the responsibility back to us because we are the people that we can do something about. And we often can't do something about the the community or this group or someone else. So sometimes that's the better question. At any rate, I think that when we start to ask better questions, it looks to me from the story like at least three things might happen. The first one is sometimes when you ask a better question that you and I begin to change uh, because of what we learn from the question. When we, ask, when we ask our questions and we find answers to our questions, if they're the right questions, they'll get deep within us and we'll begin to change. But a bonus is that the people around us when we're asking questions may change as well. Rabbis had a wonderful saying that went something like this. I have learned much from my rabbi. I've learned even more from my colleagues. But most of all, I've learned from my disciples. And their reasoning behind that was you learn from your disciples because they're always asking you questions. And as you struggle with them with their questions, you start to grow they start to grow. So questions, when shared, have a powerful effect on a lot of people. There's a, a classic story about a famous rabbi named Yohanan. And he had this disciple he loved so much because he would make a point and his disciple who was brilliant would say, I can think of 24 things that oppose that. And they start debating it. But unfortunately, this brilliant young disciple who always had 24 objections died at a young age. And Rabbi Yohanan was deeply grieved. The other rabbis were so sorry for him, they said, we need to find the best disciple we've got and, and, and have this person join Rabbi Yohanan and bring up his spirits, make him feel better. So they did. They gave him the smartest, best one. So Rabbi Yohanan would make a point. And this new best disciple, instead of saying, I can think of 24 objections, he would say, yes, I think somewhere there is somebody who shares your opinion. And he would use his encyclopedic knowledge and find a person who would agree with him. And then Rabbi Yohanan would make another point. He said, yeah, somewhere in our writings, and he would search the writings, there is someone who would agree with you. And he kept doing this. Finally, Rabbi Yohanan said, stop it. He said, I already know what I believe and agree with myself. He said, I need to know where you disagree. I need to know where I might be wrong. And there's something powerful about the exchange of questions and the searching questions where everybody gets to learn. And then my favorite part of the story is at the end of the story, after Jesus has participated in the question and answering, his parents catch up with him and they are frustrated with him. And there's a little bit of a tense family exchange. And, and I mentioned this at Christmas because I know none of us had, had this, but, but at least know that one family did have a tense exchange at Christmas. It was Mary and Jesus. Why did you worry your mom and dad? Yeah, we didn't know where you were. And he comes up with this brilliant answer. He said, well, didn't you need to know that I had to be about? And what's really fascinating in the Greek, it doesn't say what it's about. It's like about blank father. 
So you can fill in the blank. A lot of people say, in my father's house, and that's a good translation. Others say, about the business of my father. Another translation that many scholars like is, the affairs of my father. But basically, in this questioning and answer, in this searching of the text, in the searching of his own heart, Jesus is coming to an even firmer knowledge that he is, in fact, a beloved son, the beloved son of the father. Questions rightly asked lead us deeper into our identity and help us know more deeply that, in fact, we are loved. And that's why questions are, in my mind, such a beautiful thing biblically, because questions don't lead us away from the Father. They lead us right in to the lap of the Father. I truly believe with all my heart that Jesus is the answer. But I also believe that...